Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. So the motto we have here at Victory is helping you trust and follow Jesus Christ. Uh, if you ever get a letterhead from our church, that's up at the top right of the letterhead, helping you trust and follow Jesus Christ. So this morning we're going to think about three great sayings of Jesus. Now what makes a saying great? Well, the person who says it is great. They're influential. Uh, they're uh, it could also be great because of what they say. It's profound and insightful and said in a memorable way. And it also is great because it stands the test of time. It, it's not something that just popped up and now it's gone, but it stood the test of time. And so Jesus' things that he says are great. And we're going to only focus on one of them, but we're going to read all three of them. And I'm going to have them on the screen, and I want you to read them with me, okay? The first is the great commandment. The great commandment. Let's read it together. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Now pause just a moment. If you were giving yourself a grade on the great commandment, what grade do you think you would give yourself? What grade do you think the Lord would give you? Now, the great commission, the great commission. Let's read it together again. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. These are common. We, uh, in fact, we had a missionary here two weeks ago. He was focusing on the Great Commission. We talked about the Great Commandment, the Great Commission. Uh, those are things that we see, that we study, that we're aware of. But there's also the great prayer request that Jesus had. The great prayer request. Read it with me, please. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Matthew 9, 37 and 38. Now this morning, we're going to look at this last one, the great prayer request, but we're going to transition over to Paul's expression of the great Paul's version of the great prayer request that we find in Colossians 4. 
So as you're turning or clicking to Galatians, Colossians 4, if you find Galatians 4, you need a new Bible. Uh, Colossians chapter 4, and, and we're going to look at Paul's phrasing of the Great Commission, his concern of the great prayer request, his concern for how they would pray for him and what he asked them to do and why. It's based on the Great Commandment and the Great Commission and Jesus' own great prayer request. So this is Paul's version of the great prayer request from Colossians chapter 4. And uh, look with me in verse number 2. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. He goes on in verse 5 to say, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside or without, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would stir our hearts. And uh, if, if there's sin in our lives, that you would convict us of sin, that you would stir our hearts and encourage us in the right path. We pray that we would listen, that we would focus, that your Holy Spirit would speak your truth into our hearts. And we pray that we would learn and grow and adjust our lives so that we can follow you. I pray that this message would stir us to action this very week. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, beginning in verse 2, Paul talks about several things. He describes the way we should pray. Continue earnestly in prayer. Now, this continue earnestly is to hold fast to, to endure, to persevere, to be devoted to. Now, uh, you've all seen where one kid has something, and then some other kid wants that same something, and they get into a tug of war. The one who had it first, they're just hanging on and they're not wanting to let go and they're pulling and they're hanging on to it. This is the way Paul said we're supposed to pray. We're supposed to hold fast to. We're supposed to grab on to it. We're supposed to endure in it. We're not just supposed to say, oh Lord, bless us this day. You know, sometimes some people, they pray three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. God wants us to pray from our heart, to pray all day long. In fact, when Paul was writing his letter to the Ephesians, he wrote about spiritual warfare and the struggle that we have, and we need to put on the whole armor of God. And he talked about praying as part of our spiritual warfare, to be involved and engaged in prayer. We need to endure. We need to persevere. We need to be devoted to it. But you don't need to feel guilt about your prayer. I remember uh, my mom, mom used to say that if she ever had trouble sleeping, she'd just start praying and put her right to sleep. You know, if you fall asleep in the middle of your prayer, that's okay with God. Just pray again after you wake up. You don't have to feel guilt about, I need to pray better. I need to pray more often. Maybe you do need to pray more often. 
But God does not want to guilt you into doing it. He doesn't want you to come to him in prayer and say, well, I have to talk to God now, so Heavenly Father, here I am. No, he wants you to uh, have a relationship with him, to just enjoy talking with him and listening to him through what the Holy Spirit speaking into your heart and life. And continue earnestly in prayer. Uh, this is a conversation you need to have. As Jeremiah said, you need to call unto him because then he will show you great and mighty things you cannot know without his doing that. So continue earnestly. And then he takes it another step. He says, being vigilant. What does it mean to be vigilant. Being vigilant, there's an intensity to it. It describes being watchful, keeping alert, because prayer is part of your spiritual warfare. How many of you served in the military? Raise your hand if you served. In. How many of you who served in the military stood guard duty at one point or another? Uh, every hand goes back up. That's just something you do in the military. You have to stand guard duty. And if you fall asleep on your guard duty, then you're in trouble. If you're guarding a secure area and you let people through who shouldn't be let through, then you're in trouble. There's all kinds of rules the military has for how you stand that guard duty and do it appropriately. And you have to be vigilant. You have to be watchful. How many of you have watched the president speaking and you've seen secret service people standing near the president? You ever see that? Who are the secret service people watching? Are they looking at the president and admiring the president? No, they're looking everywhere except at the president. It's not that they don't like the president, although I'm pretty sure the transitions we've had in the White House the last 20 years, uh, there have been some Secret Service people who were happy to see a president leave and a new one come in. But their job is to watch everything else, and they're watchful, and they're looking, and they're seeing. And if they see somebody who's anywhere near the president reach into a jacket, they're automatically prepped. To, if they just see the handle of a gun coming out, they're in full response mode. If they see somebody whose back itches, you know, they're watching the president and that person starts doing this, they're on alert because they're being watchful. And we need to pray with a watchfulness. We need to pray with an expectation that God is listening and God is involved. And then he adds, what's the last thing he says about it in verse 2? Pray, continue earnestly, being vigilant, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. God blesses us richly. Some Christians serve in very difficult areas. We just took on a new missionary, um, Sa'ada Williams. She is going to South Sudan, and that's a really rough area. And she's going to go serve the Lord there. And in fact, uh, we just got a letter from, um, <laughs> a new missionary letter from a missionary that we support. My brain won't come up with his name. They have kids. His daughter's name, Christabel. What's his name? What? Babalolas. Babalolas. I couldn't come up with that name. It's such, such an easy one. 
Abelolos, just like green. It's so easy. Uh, but we just got a letter from him, and he's talking about uh, how many they've seen saved through their outreach ministry there, and he's very excited about it. And yet he's serving in a difficult place. So we need to be thankful for the victories that God gives us, thankful in our prayers, thanking him. And today, if you're going to have lunch, when you have lunch and you say, thank you for this food, before you say, thank you for this food, pause just a minute, feel grateful for the food, and then say, thank you that I have food today. Because some people in the world, they're not sure they're going to get food today. And we have it. So with thanksgiving, there should be a joyfulness in our heart uh, that with thanksgiving, it comes from the Greek word eucharista uh, or the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper as we call it. Your prayers should be filled with the same gratitude you feel when you're observing the Lord's Supper, when you're thankful for the blood that he shed for you. You're thankful for his body that was broken for you. And so we're thankful in our prayers. See, the Lord God of heaven and earth hears you when you pray. He listens when you pray. How many of you have been talking to somebody and had them tune out? Come on, every wife's hand should be up. <laughs> I saw that. Thank you, I see that hand. May God bless you. Uh, uh, people tune out sometimes. And... Did you know God never tunes out? Kathy and I recently had a conversation with some younger people, and we're talking to them in the middle of a sentence of mine, and later on in the middle of a sentence of Kathy's, both of these young people are looking at their phones, and they look at each other, and then they're back on their phones, and we never finished our sentence, and they never noticed. So what the Lord God of heaven and earth hears you, when you pray. And you maybe can't even voice it. Maybe you have no voice. You can't even verbalize your prayer. God hears your head. He hears your thoughts. He hears the cries of your heart. He hears your prayers. And he cares I like what Peter said, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting your care on him, for he cares for you. He cares. The Lord God of heaven and earth, when we pray, hears. And so when we pray for opportunities to witness, when we pray for other people to have effectiveness in their witness, God hears these prayers. When you pray for our missionaries, and you pray for yourself as his missionary to this community, then he listens, he hears. And then in verse 3, he shares a prayer request that you should have. And this lines up with Jesus' prayer request. Pray for uh, the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his harvest. In Colossians 4, 3, Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. That God would open a door for the word to preach the mystery of Christ. That God would open that. You know what we ought to do this week? We ought to pray that God would open a door for each of us. 
to share the mystery of Christ with someone this week. That God would open a door. The Bible presents it like this. We have a message that's prepared, described for us in Scripture. We have a Holy Spirit who's working in our lives, and he's working in the lives of others. So we take this message that's prepared, and we go talk to the people that God is preparing to receive it, and then God may bring fruit. Sometimes you won't have the opportunity to reach people for Christ. Sometimes you will, but you never will if you don't try. Pray for that opportunity. Now, Jesus asked his disciples to pray for more laborers, and now Paul is praying that he would be a faithful laborer. So while you're praying for more laborers, pray also that you would be a faithful laborer, that you would do what God has called you to do. As he describes here, uh, that God would open the door so that I can speak that mystery and, for which I'm also in chains. In chains, he was imprisoned because of it. Now, our purpose here at Victory, we say our purpose is to show God's love and to share his truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Uh, we've kind of adopted that as our purpose as a church. This is what we focus on. This is what we want to do. And I've been thinking lately that maybe we need to insert something right in the middle of that. So go ahead, Tim, insert it for us right in the middle of that. So it says, our purpose is to show God's love and share his truth with those who have not yet trusted Christ as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. See, we have people who serve in multiple ministries in our church. And so some are serving on Sunday morning. They're teaching. Uh, they're serving in a Bible class. And then on Sunday night, they'll either be serving in journey or involved here and serving in some way in our service at 5 o'clock. And then uh, we have Thursday night Awana clubs. We have a lot of people who serve in Awana on Thursday night. And then some might also be involved in the ladies' Bible study or the men's activities, things that we have going on. Did you know you could spend your whole week busy with Christians? You could spend your whole week not doing the very thing Jesus came to earth to do, to seek and to save those who were lost. And so instead of just showing his love and sharing his truth with one another, we need to focus on uh, sharing it with those who have not yet trusted Christ. They might trust him. Some of them may be ready to trust him, but they don't yet know what to do. And we could share that with them. We are saved to seek and to serve. Jesus came in Luke 19.10. He said, he came to seek and to save those who were lost. And in John 20, 21, he says, As the Father has sent me, so send I you. I also send you. So he has called us to this same ministry of seeking to save those who are lost. So if we're content to just minister among Christians and we're not intentionally trying to bring new people to Christ, a new people to salvation, then we're ignoring a significant part of the great commandment. 
we're ignoring, uh, we're violating uh, the Great Commission, ignoring the main part of the Great Commission. We're disregarding Jesus' personal prayer request and a significant part of our ministry and a significant part of our calling. So what should we do? I think we should join the Apostle Paul in praying for open doors. We should seek opportunities to talk about Christ to those who desperately need a Savior. Then look at verse 4. He says, That I may make it manifest. How's the rest of that verse go? Read it with me. As I ought to speak. As I ought to speak. This is what I'm supposed to do. That I would speak up for Christ as I should. That's what Paul's supposed to do. That's what we're supposed to do. Believers should spend more time talking about Christ to those who have not yet trusted him. We should focus on that more than politics, more than sports teams, more than news highlights. We should invite people to church. Now, don't raise your hand. Do not raise your hand. But I want you to think about this question. When was the last time you invited someone to church? When was the last time you had a conversation with them and you shared how Christ is working in your life and you invited them to join you in the church service? I don't know. But uh, it should you should be able to think, oh, just the other day, just this past week. And so think about it. We should tell people that you're praying for them. When I was a business manager and when I served as a chaplain and I was involved often in, in dealing with unsafe people and, and in our neighborhood, I've talked to some neighbors and I've told them, I'm praying for you. Is there anything specific I can pray about? I don't ask them if I can pray for them. I just tell them I am. I'm praying for you. Is there something specific I could pray about? And, you know, I have had very few people ever be angry with me. In fact, if I remember right, the only person who was really angry when I told them I was praying for them was an atheist I served with in the Marine Corps 40 years ago. Nobody's been angry since. Maybe I've gotten better at the way I say it. I don't know. Uh, but... Uh, let people know you're praying for them. Even unsaved people kind of enjoy having Christians pray for them. They don't think it'll make much difference, but they don't mind you doing it. And when I was a business manager, I'd have people come to me and share prayer requests. Hey, I know you're going to be praying for me. Here's something you can pray. My sister's in the hospital or my, uh, my daughter's sick. Would you pray? I even had a coworker ask me to come by the hospital to visit with she and her husband to pray for their daughter because their daughter was in difficult circumstances. And eight years after we stopped working together, she came to trust Christ. And so she called me one day and let me know she was a Christian. Then she called me again on a Monday years later, and she said, Hey, guess what I did yesterday? I said, well, I'm guessing you went to church because I know you trusted Christ. She said, yeah, I went to church. Guess what I did there? I said, well, you sang and you listened to a message. Yeah, guess what else? I said, I don't know what else. You tell me. She said, I taught Sunday school. 
She was all excited that she taught Sunday school and she got to share some of the things that I had shared with her uh, way back before when we served together and, and worked together. And what a blessing to know that you sometimes you won't see fruit right away. Sometimes it'll be years later. Sometimes you'll show up in heaven and there they'll be and say, I remember when you were praying for me and that started the ball and I ended up trusting Christ. See, it's our job to sow in water. It's God's job to bring forth the increase. And so we be faithful, and then God is faithful, and things happen. So we should take time each week to establish friendships and have conversations that help move people towards salvation. In fact, Kathy and I were talking about this this week. I, uh, As she was planning the music, looking over my notes and thinking about things, she said, I'm already planning to talk to this person next week, and this is the day and the time I'm planning to do it. So maybe you can do that this week. Make a plan to talk to somebody about Christ. See, hell is real. Hell is where everybody goes who has not trusted Christ. Every single person who has not trusted Christ, goes to hell. They go to hell, which is a temporary place, and then the eternal place is called the lake of fire, as death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. They go to a place of torment. That's where they go. So recently, Aaron Arntz and I were getting our allergy shots together. Well, not together, but we met at the same place and he got his shots and I got mine. We didn't swap them out. Uh, and, and then we talked with each other and there was another guy there and I brought up in the conversation with this other guy, I brought up the Lord and he said, don't talk to me about God. God and I are not on speaking terms. And he was pretty derogatory. And I, I had an answer for him. I thought about it and I hesitated to say it because there's a room full of other people there and I didn't want to get into a confrontational thing. But afterward, Aaron talked to the guy a little bit more because they left at a, together a time pretty close to each other and Aaron talked to the guy a little bit more uh, about the Lord. But, you know, we need to seek opportunities. We need to speak up. It's our job. And so... We should care enough to reach out and try and influence them to trust and follow Jesus Christ. We should care enough to do that. That I should speak up for Christ as I should. Uh, Scottish, sorry. Scottish evangelist George MacLeod said, the cross must be raised again at the center of the marketplace as well as on the steeple of the church. I am claiming that Jesus was not crucified in a church or cathedral between two candles, but on a cross between two thieves, on the town garbage heap at a crossroad so cosmopolitan they had to write his title in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. And at a kind of place where cynics talk smut and thieves curse and soldiers gamble because that is where he died and that is what he died about and that is where churchmen ought to be and what churchmen should be about. Reaching out into our community to share Christ. 
Then in verse 5, he gives us some conversation of while you're in that process of reaching out, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Walk in wisdom toward them. Because they are lost. They need a Savior. You know the Savior. You could introduce them. You have the answer. And you could bring them to Christ. A wise person sees the danger ahead and warns others. If you know the bridge is out and you're standing near the road and you see cars coming, you try and flag them down. You try and stop them because if they go ahead, they're going to die. Well, you know, physical death is not nearly as significant as spiritual death. If people die without Christ, they're in horror and terror and pain forever. And we have the answer. So walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Don't argue politics with them. Don't argue sports teams with them. Don't argue current events. Talk about Jesus with them. I'm not saying never talk about politics, but we have a brand of Christianity today that's way more focused on influencing the politics of our country than it is on influencing people for Christ. And that should be our focus. Can we get people to know about and respond to Jesus Christ. That's what wise people do, walk in wisdom. That's what kind and loving people do. That's what followers of Jesus do. Then verse 6, I'll just sum up verse 6 in three words. Watch your mouth, watch your mouth. Verse 6, he says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. When uh, our son and daughter-in-law, Benjamin and Meredith, were going to the U of A, there was a guy on campus, and before they got married, they lived in this rental uh, house off campus, and, and this guy also lived in that rental house. I think he was the son of the family that owned the house, and then because it was multiple stories and multiple rooms and multiple people there living in there, one separate building for the girls and one separate building for the guys. And and Benjamin and Meredith were in that, and she was in the girls' house and he was in the guys' house. And they'd go on campus and they'd see this guy who was in the house. They knew him. They didn't know him well. And he'd be on campus and he'd like roll up his Bible and he'd wave it and he'd holler and he'd yell and he'd yell at people and and scream and holler at them. And nobody got saved. How does Paul say we need to do it? He describes it kind of specifically. Let your speech always be with grace. So as you're talking to people, you are intentionally not trying to offend. Sometimes our message is offensive. How many people want to hear, you're a sinner, you need to repent? Our message may be offensive, but our speech is not supposed to be. Our mannerism's not supposed to be. With grace, and then he says, seasoned with salt, so that you're really thinking this through. You're speaking words 
and you're thinking about how those words will impact the person hearing them. And then he says that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Each person is unique. You don't memorize some sales pitch and then go try and talk people into buying the sales pitch of Jesus. You talk with them, you listen to them, you learn. Because words mean different things to different groups of people and to different individuals. Now, in my family growing up, we played a lot of family games, and I had a brother who always cheated, always cheated. I don't remember playing a game that he didn't cheat, never. My siblings and I talked about it, and we cannot remember a single time that he didn't cheat. He'd always try something. And so in my family, when somebody called you a cheater, it was fighting words. You know, you better be ready to draw when you call somebody a cheater in the house I grew up in. Now, Kathy's family, they used the word cheater way differently. And her family, her mom would keep a score sheet. And it was her mom and her dad. And she would say, me and cheater. That's how she kept the score. And every time he won, she'd call him a cheater. And they would laugh and think it was funny. So Kathy and I are newlyweds. We play a game. I win. What do you think Kathy said? Sweet smile on her face. She says, cheater. How do you think Terry responded? Sweet smile on his face. I love you too, babe. Not exactly. What are you doing calling me a cheater? I was all upset. I mean, that's fighting words in my family, and I wasn't going to punch her, but, you know, the thought probably entered my head, but I wasn't going to do it. I was angry that she would call me a cheater. She couldn't figure out. All I said was cheater. See, when you talk to unsaved people, sometimes the words you use alienate them from Christ. For instance, you can describe something or someone as evil when that person is probably not planning or trying to be evil. They're most likely misguided. At five o'clock today, we're going to be talking about some of the ways that Satan and demons work in our lives, and and I hope you can join us for that. Uh, But there's a lot of people who are deceived by Satan And they're not trying to be evil. They're not trying to do the wrong thing. They're not trying to cause problems. This is just how they think because they don't know any better yet. So if you call them perverted or demonic or evil, you're alienating them. One of the things that I've tried to use is even if their lifestyle is contrary to what God wants, like Maybe they're living together before they're married or uh, they're engaged in uh, same-sex attraction sort of thing that the Bible teaches against. Uh, then I, I, if I bring it up, I always tell them, look, it makes no difference to me. How is my life impacted by their life choices? It makes no difference to me. But I want them to know to get right with God, they would need to change this. And so... If I act like, oh, they're evil and this is wicked and you must repent, then that's not helping them. 
We need to be seasoned with grace, or minister with grace, and our word seasoned with salt, so we know how to speak to any person. So you get better at it with practice, but you intentionally don't try and alienate people. You intentionally try and bring them toward Christ. So you seek to communicate in their language using words and terms they might readily understand. So the great prayer request uh, that that we would be faithful to serve in the soul-saving ministry of Jesus Christ. That's what we need to be doing. All right, so here's your homework for this week. I want you to write down the name of someone you will witness to this week. Just right now. If you've got a pen and paper, write it down. If you're using your phone, send yourself a text. The name of someone you will witness to this week. Then plan it. Pray about it. Pursue it. That's what Jesus wants his followers to do. Someone who is already on their way to hell someone who could become your brother or sister in Christ. Pray about it. Do it. Follow through. One of my devotions this morning reminded me that Jesus said his followers would be fishing for men. And the devotion writer said, it may mean investing some time, taking some risks, and putting out some effort in practical acts of loving compassion. Fishing for men and women is no casual thing. So are you following Jesus? Witness to someone this week. Pray for an open door, for an opportunity. Watch what you say. Think about their concerns, their cares, their considerations, and then try and bring the gospel in. You look at Jesus and how he interacted. Every single person Jesus witnessed to, he did differently. He didn't use the four spiritual laws. He talked to them. He dealt with their concerns. He responded to them. But he always pointed them in the same direction. The Apostle Paul witnessed way differently in different places in the book of Acts when his messages are recorded because he was dealing with different people and different groups and they had different understandings. So we need to think about what they're going through. We need to listen to what they're saying and then we need to make sure our mouth is using words that bring them closer to an understanding of Christ that's not pushing them away. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and grace. We pray that this very week we would have the opportunity to witness for you. That when we come back to church next Sunday, we could share testimonies of people that we talked with and perhaps even people that we saw trust you as Savior. Thank you for the prayer concern that you had that we would focus on. Thank you for Paul's translating that into his own personal core of action. And I pray now this week, it would become our course of action as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page, 
or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.